Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. This week we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. My name is Ben Robin. I'm here with Jamie Trussell and Damon Conley. Well, brothers, I guess it's fitting for us to begin where Paul does. He says that we should pray for all people, and then in verse 2, for certain types of people, kings and those who are in high positions, or some translations might say those who are in authority. That uh, could be a pretty difficult prayer. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I love the fact that Paul talks about prayer first as he is you know looking uh, uh through this passage you know praying for all people and i think it is important i think prayer is something that has is a lost um jewel that we have as a body of believers is to pray uh, a lot of times we look down on prayer i know there are a lot of church leaders who uh, if they try to have uh, prayer meetings uh, at their church the participation for that uh, is lower than if you're you know having you know some type of uh, you know fun or banquet or something like that but prayer is important and, and paul is setting us up to remind us that prayer is important he talks through uh, just different types of prayers that I think uh, should help us as we think through the variety of, of prayers. He talks about, you know, uh, intercessions and thanksgivings and things of that nature, which I think uh, will help us if we utilize the different type of prayers for us to have a good prayer life uh, and not be focused on, you know, me, myself and I, but focus on, as you said in uh, verse two, all like he, he talks about praying for all people. Um and that means all people is in the end of verse one. Uh, so that's people who are in the household of faith. I think people who are who are unsaved. Uh, I think he wants us to pray for all people because, you know, God's purpose was for all people to come to know him. And so we should, you know, always pray uh, for those folks. So I'm grateful for Paul as he just uh, labored uh, writing to this um, because prayer is important. So this particular passage uh, is the spot of some controversy, actually, um, regarding verse four. Uh, where it talks about God our Savior desiring all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And over the years, it's been interpreted uh, in lots of different ways. And probably within within our body here at Harvest, we have a couple of different interpretations. Jamie, would you like to shed a little light on, on some of that? Uh, yeah, I'll try. Um, I think it comes down to uh, there are a couple plausible ways of reading it, and there's certainly one thing it can't mean. And so we just start with it can't mean. It, you know, Nowhere in the Bible does it, teach that all people will be saved uh, you just can't find a passage ultimately that says all people will repent of their sins and come to know christ um and so even further from that we have to deduce that hell is a real place and that it's eternal and it's uncomfortable and not a fun doctrine to talk about but scripture doesn't really permit another interpretation um i don't believe so factoring that out uh it really comes down to is paul saying all here and this particular passage meaning all people everywhere or is he using all in the sense of all types of people everywhere and uh, I think it would be okay to land in one of those two places I think in light of verse 2 where it says uh, for kings and all who are in high positions uh, anytime we see the word for it's a further explanation of a point previously made in his previous point was to pray for all and then it seems to be modified the all people into two into different types and so i think it's it may be a better reading to say that god desires all types of people 
to be saved as he illustrates his prayer as we previously talked about that all types of people should also be prayed for yeah i don't expect us to settle um those kind of disagreements here but just to acknowledge that different people have different perspectives um i generally take the latter view um i think something that's helpful for all of us to think through together are the words desires and the word all so um what does it mean for god to desire something does god get what he desires or not and in what sense does God desire something such that it doesn't happen? Uh, and those are th- good things to think through, I think, for everybody on, e- on each side of that. Another one is, is the word all. We all use all all the time, but we don't always mean the same thing. We don't always mean all. So I just used the word all like five different ways in that same one sentence. Sure did. And uh, it, it could mean a lot of different things. So we want to be sure that if we're doing interpretation, we're clear about what our interpretations are and not so much presupposing or um, just asserting those things. Thanks both of you all for, for clarifying that. Um, verse five, incredible verse. I think, uh, it's one that, uh, as believers, we must stand firm in, uh, where he says, for there is one God, <clears throat> one mediator between God and man. Uh, and the man is Christ Jesus. Uh, this is a, a great distinctive of Christianity is that we do have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who died in our place and for our sin, and that he is the way uh, that we get to God the Father. Um, There are other people, um, if you're doing this journey with, that may come from uh, different religious backgrounds. They may have grown up culturally uh, thinking that all roads lead to God, and um, some people might like to uh, use, you know, the mixing of different religions just to make themselves feel happy. Uh, This is where we have to put our foot uh, down. We have to put our stake in the ground and say, Uh, As a believer, as a uh, follower of Jesus Christ, we have to understand and know and hold fast to the fact that there is one God and Jesus Christ is the mediator to that God. And there's there's no uh, no bending uh, on that point. And uh, we we should not be ashamed um, uh, because Christ has done so much for us. We should be able to stand firm in that. Yeah, I think one major teaching of the New Testament is that every believer in Jesus Christ is a priest. Right? Everyone is called to represent God to the world as a believer in Jesus Christ. Mm. And so Peter really clarifies that for us in First Peter 2. Um, you know, in the Old Covenant, you had specific set-aside people who were called to be priests. And yet in the New Covenant, we have one priest, Jesus Christ, who's also the mediator. So there's nobody between you and God the Father besides Jesus. That's right. And, and, and it is important. And, you know, unfortunately, just throughout Christianity, there have been, you know, different um, segments of Christianity where they put an emphasis on having to come through a human being, you know, for your prayers. Uh, I do believe that if we grab hold to the priesthood of all believers, knowing that uh, we have Christ and we can go to him uh, directly, uh, that it should be freeing for us uh, as we're walking and doing this life. And so you're right. We are priests and Christ. He is the only mediator that we must go through. Uh, and that's incredible for me to know. Yeah, I mean, the reality is if God is God, by very definition, he can determine the pathway back to himself. And based upon, I think, sound evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, God has declared and determined that is the only pathway back to him. Uh, The uniqueness of Christianity is the pathway made back to God was actually provided and accomplished by God himself with out the assistance of a human agent. And so while that comes across as exclusive 
or maybe arrogant to some, the reality is the Christian faith is the only one that says God entered into suffering, uh, took sin upon himself, did all the work we couldn't do, died the death that we deserved, was resurrected so we could walk in newness of life, and we contribute nothing to that finished work of Jesus, and it's freely offered to us if we repent and turn to God in faith. So it's not like God's up there saying, there's one path to me and you'll never figure out what it is. He's saying, no, there's one path back, and I've freely made it available uh, through the work of his son. I think that message that Jesus died in the place of his people, that he's come to save his people from their sins, is all over the New Testament. It's right there in verse 6 as well. And it's that message that Paul says he's appointed a preacher of, an apostle and a teacher uh, to the Gentiles, that they would understand the faith and the truth that Jesus has come. And then he transitions in verse 8, talking about almost like the role of men and women in this thing, in, in both the prayer that he's been talking about and then also in the broader body of people who believe in Jesus. Uh, yeah, verses 11 through 14 specifically of, of this section uh, dealing with the role of women in the gathered church, which is what I do think uh, this passage is referencing, is uh, certainly disputed now. Uh, it's quite controversial and at first glance can seem uh, fairly demeaning or, or uh, you know, devaluing of, of the role of women in the church. And the reality is it's anything but that. Uh, and so anytime we reach passages like this, there's another one in 1 Corinthians 11, I think, uh, we have to understand that Paul is writing to a particular context. There are contextual ways that this is being fleshed out, but that doesn't negate the fact that there's a timeless principle at play. So timeless principles can be fleshed out in contextually unique ways. And so here, when Paul talks about you know some of some of this stuff about the uh, you know the 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 clothing, the braiding of the hair, the gold jewelry. There were ways of dressing during this this time period that signified that a woman was sexually promiscuous, uh, a way that would have brought dishonor to her husband. Uh, like that's not saying women now can't braid their hair. It's saying what are contextual ways in our culture that make sure that as uh, women who love the Lord, you're honoring the timeless principle of modesty uh, within the church. And so uh, as we reach difficult passages like this, just understanding that you can't erase this passage by saying, well, that was just written for them back then. Well, no, there's a contextual way to understand that, but there's a timeless principle at play. Uh, Furthermore, uh, Paul says some tough stuff about women and teaching and uh, and what they're permitted to do or not to do. you know, so I'll, I'll let Damon launch in on that and add anything, if need be, on the, along the way. Well, thank you, Jamie, for uh, just unpacking it for us. I do uh, think that um, when you come to terms like submission and, and things of that nature, it definitely um, causes issues, especially uh, in our day and time. And I, and I think uh, what Paul is really trying to get at, he, he's not trying to be a chauvinist or any of that thing. He, he's just saying, look, submission is recognizing God's order in home and in the church and that we joyfully uh, submit to that and we obey that. And so if we do things in order and we know that God is a God of uh, doing things in decency and in order, um, then our lives uh, would be the better be, because of that. And so um, 
when when we see this, and I know it's hard, and here we are, three guys who are speaking of uh, a passage uh, saying this, which that could be, um, you know, misleading for some people. But um, I do believe that man, Paul was not trying to to be um, mean at women. He just said that there's a, a order that God has set forth, and that we should joyfully uh, submit to that. Uh, things like teaching. Um, Yes, women were able to teach uh, young boys, uh, but also uh, you look at in, in Acts, you know, women were able to teach uh, in private, but they could not have uh, any kind of lording over a man uh, publicly. So uh, he's not saying that women couldn't teach because they could teach other women and disciple other women. They should. Uh, but there's just a proper order that we must, uh, again, follow in order for us to uh, to to um, honor God. Yeah. And. And look, just take it at face value, like you said, verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. That's hard. Uh, do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather. And so I'm glad that you emphasize the idea of, of we have to understand Paul's writing to, a, to the gathered church. And this doesn't say women can't be teachers and can't be competent teachers and can't even have the gift of teaching. However, it does regulate the exercise of that gift. And so uh, there's the principle. Look, and this is why, as hard as it can be, uh, it can't be relegated as that was just for them back then because this this transcends culture when Paul references creation. And so when you go back to creation, you have eliminated cultural context shaping uh, what this must mean. What it means is God had created order for whatever reason, is divine wisdom. That created order displays his glory, and to get out of order somehow will will uh, uh, will be a hurdle to the displaying uh, the way that God glorious created things to be. And so, yeah, in a public gathered church, Paul's saying women should not teach authoritatively from the word, not because they're not capable of it, but because in some way that that is a barrier to understanding the order that God's given to all creation. Absolutely. Damon, y'all just had your uh, baby girl. Oh, well, you know, we're recording this in January, so y'all just had your baby girl a few weeks ago. I'm waiting for my third kid. Uh, thank you, Ben. And I don't have children yet, so I think it's only fair that we let Ben interpret chapter 2, verse 15, that says, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in uh, in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So why don't you tackle this one for us, brother? I'm good. <laughs> yeah, this this is uh, definitely one of those uh, passages that are controversial. Uh, um, you know, for women uh, will be saved through childbearing, and there are you know different ways to look at it. I think Paul here uh, was saying for women, uh, as he looks back at Genesis and you know in the created order, that, that God would would give them safety, uh, in in a sense through childbearing, um, and, and even saying that we know that uh, there are always uh, people who have complications uh, historically, but. But there was just a, a peace giving uh, to the, to these women that you know through childbearing that God would would safely uh, you know He would be with them and provide um, a safety for something as grueling as pushing out a baby, which I I did just see happen eleven days ago, and uh, the doctor actually let me deliver the baby, so I got a chance to see it from a different vantage point than I've ever had, and grateful for this verse. <laughs> 
Damon, I think that's helpful. I think also we know that the promise to Eve in Genesis 3.15 is that she's going to be saved through her offspring. Mm. That somebody's coming in the line of Adam and Eve that's going to deliver, as we said earlier, that's going to save his people from their sins. It's Jesus we know now, obviously. Um, I love also what Jamie wrote in the field guide, which I'm just going to read a little bit of here. Uh, One could make an argument that this is the hardest verse to understand in all of Paul's letters, which is why he tried to kick it to me, and I'm reading his uh, words about it. You're the right guy to have it. (laughs) A good place to start with trying to understand this verse is to begin with what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that the actual act of giving birth is what saves a woman from her sin, and it cannot mean that if a woman is unable to have children, then her salvation is cut off entirely. I agree with that. Amen, brother. (laughs) You wrote it. Um. Yeah, look, I don't know that it's even possible for us to, with any integrity, know exactly what this verse does mean. I think there there are some real plausible options out there. I do think there's a big picture idea in play, and Paul goes back to creation, uh, of the reality is that uh, when a a woman uh, gets pregnant and has a child, there's a nine sometimes 10 months period there where uh, there's nausea, there's sickness, there's fatigue, there's increase in pain uh, physically. Uh, but all of that uh, culminates, and God willing, in newness of life. And I think there's an, there's an allegoric, allegorical idea that's really fleshed out in real time here that says, look, here's the reality. It, 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 if you don't give up, if you continue in faith through all the brokenness and pain and trial and difficulties of living life in a fallen world, it's an idea of perseverance. At the end of that does come brand new glorified life with Christ. And so uh, I think it's also plausible Paul is bringing that into view, having already referenced uh, creation in Adam and Eve, is taking the idea of childbearing, this increasing of pain that culminates in newness of life, and then bringing that into real time and going, look, if you continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, basically live a persevering Christian life amidst difficulty, we have the, the hope and guarantee that that ends with eternal new life uh, with Christ. I think that's a really great place for us to wrap up this particular episode, too, because one of the things we're seeing as we become a gospel people in this path is that A mark of a true Christian is perseverance. Those who are saved endure to the end. And so I pray that we all continue on in faith, hope, and love. Amen. By all, do you mean all? All Christians? All Christians.